Well, good morning this morning. Those of you that came to hear Pastor Andrew, I'm sorry that you've got to be disappointed. You're stuck with me this morning. He told me he was going out to Reno, and he said, and I've been teasing him about doubling the offering, so I promised him I would never mention that this morning. Uh, but, you know, uh, rest assured, he didn't take the offering. It was deposited before he was able to take it out to Reno and double it. So uh, I won't just forget I said anything about that this morning because he'll let me have it when he gets back. <laughs> but hey, we're going to miss him. Uh, I love coming here, but especially on a Sunday morning and hearing Pastor, and uh, you know, I need my soul fed just like you need yours fed. And I told him when we came here and we first joined the church, and we joined just before he came here, I said, you know, Shirley and I, we're retired from ministry, and I was a pastor for many years, and uh, I'm retired now. And I told him, you know, as a retired pastor, I need to be fed just like everybody else. I'm not coming in to judge you, to be skeptical, to evaluate your message. I'm just here to get fed like everybody else. I want you to understand that. And so I want you to understand that, that we're here because this is our home church, and we believe in the home church. And I'll be honest with you, this is the last church we checked out before we decided to join a church, because the only time we could check out a church was when I was on vacation, because I preached every week. And so on our vacations, we would spend our time up here before we moved up here full time. We were in uh, First Baptist Church of Oak Park uh, for about 11 years, going on 11 years, and then we went to Pearson, Michigan, at Pearson Bible Church, and I pastored there for the last five and a half, five years, I guess, five, five and a half years before I retired, or semi-retired. But I, I love doing what I'm doing. I love sharing the Word of God. I love pastoring. And I thought, you know, th this might be kind of boring when I retire. It's been nothing but that. They've kept us busy. We've been on the other side of the state twice now, once for eight months and once for over a year. It's been over a year we've been at Wellston, at First Church of Wellston, because I fill in at churches, Shirley and I go and fill in at churches that need pastors, that are in between the pastors and the churches that can't find pastors. That's what we do on Sunday morning only. So if you haven't seen us on Sunday morning, we're here on Wednesday, but we're never here on Sunday unless I'm not preaching elsewhere. So I count it a privilege to be with you this morning, and I'm not going to try to do what pastor does. I can't be Pastor Andrew. He's a great preacher. You know, you don't know how blessed you are to get and how fortunate you are to have been able to call he and Elizabeth to come here and minister to this church. I mean, uh, they're a rare couple. To find a couple that's that capable and that young, uh, it's, high, it's very unusual. In fact, we're having a hard time finding pastors to fill these churches that we're in because there's a pastoral shortage. So you're blessed and be thankful for them and grateful for them. And I am, we are, as members of the congregation. So look at us as full, your 
missionaries from this church because we haven't really been sent from this church, but we're out of this church. And you don't, even though you don't support us, you don't got to worry about support. That's taken care of in the churches we go to. And so we're well blessed in that way and our needs are met. Uh, but just pray for us. We're closing out our ministry at Wellston this month. I'm there a month longer than I was expected to be there. My contract actually ended in October because we sign contracts and we go in for six-month periods. So we've been there a year, and we'll be there a year and a month at the end of this month. But pray for that church. We've been able to work with the leadership, to train the leadership, to see the leadership more unified and on the same page, and more encouraged. That church was really discouraged when we first came. And... uh, I'd like to think they're more encouraged. I, I don't know. They, they tell me they are, but if you ask them and they say, you know, we would be if it wouldn't be for that preacher that comes there and preaches to us. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. But, you know, they love us. We love them. We've had a great ministry there. But pray for that ministry. They're looking at a guy right now that, uh, would, that's available to come if the Lord works in his life and affirms that call and if the church affirms that call. So that's where they're at. That's where we're at. Hope to see you in December, more weeks than not. And so, uh, yeah, we're here this morning. And hopefully your hearts will be blessed and you'll be encouraged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being able to be here and the privilege of being able to be with your people and to hear from your word. And Lord, might you speak through me and to me, Lord, so I can give these people what you've laid on my heart this morning, and might it come as if it would come straight from your mouth, Lord. And we'll thank you and praise you for all you do and how you work. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Well, in their book, Biblical Leadership, Ken Collier and Matt Williams share their thoughts on things that help to form and make great leaders. I'd like to share some of those principles with you this morning. And we're going to flow into tonight off of what we covered this morning. So if you like what you hear this morning, we're going to build on it tonight. But this morning, I'd like to talk about leaving a mark. Leaving our mark in life. So take your outlines out of your bulletin if you would. Follow along, fill in the blank. Take it home and check it out throughout the week. When I talk about leaving the mark, I'm not referring to the graffiti that we see on walls and on train cars and on buildings. And and I'm not talking about leaving our mark in that way. I'm talking about leaving something substantial behind for the people whose lives we influence, but also future generations to come. I'm talking about leaving a mark, leaving an impact, making an impact in hearts and lives, because that's what I believe God has called us all to do. You know, when I think of nature, it's amazing to think of how even God's creatures leave their mark before they end their life here. And salmon are one of those creatures. They're amazing what they do. They're born a freshwater fish. But something begins to change within the salmon as it grows. 
They actually become more streamlined in appearance. Their color changes. Their endocrine activity increases. And their gills actually begin to change. You say, why would their gills change? Well, they need to begin to adapt and tolerate sodium and potassium. You say, why would they have to do that? Because they're going to have a new life. And believe it or not, that new life is going to be in the ocean. And so they need to adapt to that saltwater life. It's called smoltification. And that's what allows freshwater salmon to adapt to saltwater life. It's really an amazing process, and scientists really don't even have it, uh, can't, haven't even discovered everything there is about those changes that are involved in that whole process. But these salmon not only survive in salt water, they thrive in salt water. And it's only after a salmon ends the course of its life and it's fully mature that it'll return to that freshwater place of its origin where it spawns and lays its eggs, the eggs hatch, new sal baby salmon are produced, and the process is repeated. It's amazing what that process does. But after leaving its mark and its God-given purpose here, guess what that salmon does? Some of you fishermen know that. It's kind of sad, but that salmon dies. That salmon actually dies. You say, why does it do that? Because salt water is its home, not fresh water anymore. It's not a part of the fresh water system anymore in rivers and streams and lakes. It's a salt water fish. And so, because it's not in salt water, it dies. Some people in life, some Christians that I know, even Christians in life, some people view their lives as nothing more than like the life of a salmon. We're born, we live, we die, and that's it. That's it. There's nothing more to life than that. Boy, how wrong are they? Because God intended so much more for our lives than just to be born and to live and to die. You see, he created all of us, much like a salmon, to leave our mark in this life before we die. He's called all of us to become people of influence in this life. People that influence our society and other people for the cause of Christ. To grow God's eternal family, but yet to transform our society. You say, well, our society will never be transformed. I beg your pardon? It can be transformed. Not entirely, but one soul at a time. It can be reached, and the lives of those people can be changed to make a significant difference in the world. And that's what we're called to do. The, you might be asking yourself the question, well, you know what? If we're to leave a significant mark in this world, Am I going to leave a significant mark in the lives of those whose lives I'm connected with and whose lives I touch? My grandkids, my neighbors, maybe even my spouse, my neighbors. 
people that I know. Am I going to really leave a mark? That isn't even a question to be asked. Because yes, you will leave a mark in the lives of others. All of us will. The question is this. Is it going to be a good mark or a bad mark? Are we going to leave a good impression or a bad impression? Are we going to leave something behind that's worthwhile for those people whose lives we influence and the future generation? As I read God's Word, I believe God's given us several biblical truths that can help us to leave the kind of God-pleasing mark that will not only benefit those who we have invested our lives in, but future generations to come. I want to give you three important foundational truths that every believer needs to understand. Three of them. Just three of them this morning. Then we're going to build on that. First of all, God has called us all to salvation. We all need to understand that. First and foremost, we need to understand that God has called us all to salvation. He wants us all to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to be part of his eternal family. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 1 through 5, we read these words. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, uh, and giving of thanks, be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, notice this, who desires all men, all individuals, all people to be what? To be saved. To be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and only one mediator between God and man, men, the man who? Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse number 6. To the praise of his glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Not only does Jesus want everyone to be saved, not only does God the Father want everyone to be saved, but... Jesus wants all of his followers to trust him as Lord and Master. Not just as Savior, but as our Master, as our leader, as the one we look to and we follow. And what this involves is more than just knowing Christ up here. Just knowing about him isn't enough. If he's our Lord and Master... We need to learn about him and then live and react and respond as he did or he would if he'd be here today. First of all, what was the first thing that God has called us to do? He's called all of us to what? Salvation. Secondly, mark this down. Our call to salvation is a call to leadership. 
leadership. You say, well, I'm no leader. Now, wait a minute. The definition of leader is this. It means to lead means to direct or to guide. And Jesus has called all of us to direct and guide individuals. First of all, he wants us to direct and guide those that are spiritually lost to to Christ so that they can trust him as their savior. Secondly, he wants us to lead those who are believers in a way to where they'll grow and trust God's word in Christ continually. They'll grow continually in their knowledge and in what they know about God and his word. So we've got God, first of all, has called us to what? Salvation. Secondly, he's called us all to what? Leadership. Thirdly, God, our call to leadership is a call to influence. This is where we want to land this morning. Our call to leadership is a call to influence. Influence other people. After his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus left orders for his church, for his believers to follow. He wanted his believers, he left these orders so that his believers could influence and impact the world in his absence until his return. In Matthew chapter 18, verse number 19, the passage as we know is the Great Commission. We read these words. Go therefore, these are the words of Jesus Christ, go therefore and what? Make disciples of all nations. And then what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to observe all things I have commanded you. Teach them what Christ has commanded and the teachings of Christ. And then Jesus said, And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Jesus gave, specifically gave his great commission for one main reason. So that his followers in his day and the future followers to come would have a lasting influence and impact on their society. A lasting impact, a huge impact on their society and the people around them rather than to just make just a little splash in history. He wanted them to make a huge impact in the world for him. His followers were to influence others. You know how? By intentionally becoming involved in the lives of others. And Jesus' plan has never changed. He wants us to intentionally become involved in the lives of other people. To intentionally place ourselves in a position to where we are involved with others. You see, Jesus calls us to become a different kind of leader. And the kind of leader he wants us to become is a leader who follows his example. Following his example. You see, a great leader is first a great follower. Even Jesus, when we look at his life, He was the greatest leader that ever lived. But you know why he was the greatest leader who ever lived? Because he was the greatest follower that ever lived. Jesus was not only a great leader, he was a great leader because 
He was a great follower. You say, well, who did Jesus follow? He followed God the Father. He submitted and followed God's authority and God's lead 100% of the time. Even on the cross when he was suffering the greatest agony anyone could ever suffer, Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Father, if you could do anything other than this, please do it. Let this cup, let this ordeal that's going to take place, just remove it. Let it pass from me. And then he said, you know what? No. Nevertheless, don't let my will be done, but I want to do your will, God. Don't remove it from me. I'm willing to accomplish your will. You see, Jesus was a great leader because he was first a great follower. In John chapter 4 and verse number 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of who? Him. Who's him? God. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John chapter 6 and verse number 38. Jesus said this, For I have come down from heaven not to do what? My will. I didn't leave heaven to do my will. I didn't leave heaven to just enjoy life. No, I had a purpose for leaving heaven. My will. I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him, God, who sent me. In the next place, we need to understand that a great leader ministers rather than dominates. Huge, huge in this life. This is just the opposite of what the world teaches. The world says, listen, if you're going to become a great leader, you're going to dominate. No, that's not what Jesus taught. You see, he went against the world's philosophy, the world's thinking. He really did. Because... Jesus was a great leader because he ministered, not because he dominated. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 42 through 45. But Jesus called them, his disciples, to himself and said, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentile lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. The way of the world. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your, what's the word? Servant. Servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be, what? Slave. A bound servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, what? serve and to give his life a ransom for many this is huge because what Jesus was saying was this the mark of a great leader is not measured get this like the world measures a great leader in the kind of car he drives how nice a house that they they live in it's not about social status that they have or about how much money is in the bank no God never measures a great leader by any of those things. 
he measures a great leader by one thing. Just simply one thing. You know what it is? Their selfless service. Their level of selfless service. That's what he measures a great leader by. You see, God doesn't measure our greatness by our personal accomplishments. Thank God for that, amen? He doesn't measure a great leader by how much that person has accumulated or how much recognition they've received. The measure of greatness is through three things. Sacrifice, humility, and giving. That's huge. That's huge. That isn't what you're going to hear in the public school system. That isn't what you're going to hear in society. That isn't going to hear what, what you're going to hear in the workplace. I'll never forget when I worked at Fremont Foundry and I worked my way up as a lab technician and before I was saved I just thought the thing that I needed to do was just make a name for myself in this life. So I was working my way up the corporate ladder and I think I was doing a pretty good job for as young as I was. But I'll never forget the night the night supervisor came by and I had been laid off because I was the lowest in management and had left the foundry thinking there were far better jobs than working in a foundry. I wasn't saved. So anyway, I went back into the foundry under the union. I was company, went back under union uh, because I found out that it was a lot more money than what I was making before and I needed to do better financially. So anyway, I went back into the foundry and the night supervisor pulled me off to the side and he goes, Jeff, I hear you're going to Bible college. This was right after I was saved when I went back in. I guess it was after I was saved. Night supervisor came back in and pulled me off the side. I hear you're going to Bible college. That was right after I had trusted Christ. And my salvation experience and my call to ministry was pretty close to the same time. There wasn't much time in between that. I just knew what God wanted me to do. I said, yes, sir, I am. He goes, you aren't going anywhere. I said, I'm not going anywhere. What do you mean I'm not going anywhere? He goes, you're not going anywhere because we've got plans for you. I said, and I looked right at him. I couldn't believe he was saying that because he claimed to be a Christian. I questioned that and still do. But he said, we've got plans for you. You aren't going anywhere. I said, you know what? God's plans are bigger than yours. And I'm going to Bible college. Listen, anything less than what God called you to be is a lesser call. God doesn't call everyone on the planet to full-time Christian ministry or to be a pastor, full-time missionary, but he does call everyone into his service and he wants you to live for him full-time wherever he places you. And until he moves you on or lets you know that, you stay where you're at because you'll be miserable otherwise. But if he's got his hand on your life and he's leading you elsewhere, you better follow him. You, better, you, you just better follow him. You can't go wrong following the Lord. Now, Jesus was a lot different than we are. Because Jesus possessed a place of great honor and authority in heaven. He left all that. But even though, listen to this, even though he possessed great authority 
And that's what I was pushing for in the world, because that's what the world pushes for, to be a person of great authority, a person with people under you, a person that is over others. Listen, Jesus, even though he possessed this great place of honor in heaven, you know what he did? He willingly laid it aside when he came to earth. And he never used that power that he had in heaven to selfishly rule over us or manipulate us. See, if we have the mind of Jesus as a leader, we're never going to do that. We're never going to use our authority, even if we have it, to manipulate others. We're never going to use it to rule selfishly over others. We'll be like Jesus, who willingly laid aside what he had and what he possessed to become like us. And he ministered to us. He served us. And then, let me remind you, in the end, he actually died for us. You see, a great leader gives sacrificially. Jesus sacrificially gave himself to us in every way. Think about it. Jesus sacrificed heaven to come to earth. He sacrificed heavenly praise and worship to be hated, mocked, and treated cruelly and nailed to a cross. He sacrificed his heavenly home to become homeless. Remember the guy that wanted to follow Jesus? And he said, you don't want to follow me because I don't even have a place to lay my head. He laid down his life for us, sacrificed his very life for us to pay a sin debt that he did not owe. Talk about sacrifice, talk about love. That's what Jesus did for us. Like, G- like, like Jesus, great leaders always think more of others and less of themselves and focus more on others than they do themselves as they live their lives. You see, great leaders have a different mindset. They do. And Jesus calls his followers, he calls each and every one of us as leaders to have a different kind of mindset. You see, we don't want to become like the world, we want to become like Jesus, the one we follow. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus shared what kind of mindset that we should have and great leaders have. Listen to what he said. Look at what he says. He says, you are the salt of the earth, speaking to believers. But if the salt loses its flavor, how can it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city on that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then he said this to his followers, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt impacts everything it touches. It really does. It melts, it flavors or seasons, it even heals. And salt even corrodes. 
It impacts all that it touches in one way or another. And light does the same way. Light and darkness don't get along. You can't have light and darkness in the same place. Either it's light or it's dark, right? It illuminates everywhere it goes. What Jesus was really saying is this. We're to leave an intentional mark for him wherever we go. That's what he was saying when he talked about this salt and this light. You see, our Christ-like presence should be so powerful that others sense it. Wherever we are, as salt heals, our very presence and ministry to others as we minister to them should bring strength and healing and spiritual, uh, spiritual power and spiritual resolve to those who are spiritually sick and wounded. And it should bring them strength as well. As light, we should continually be lighting the way for those that are stuck in spiritual darkness, those that are trapped within spiritual darkness. But, do we always do that? Do you always do it? Do I always do it? Sometimes it seems like we fail more than we succeed, doesn't it? Be honest. It does in my life. When I look at my life, oh, I passed up that opportunity, Lord. How sad is that? I should have been aware of that. Should have witnessed to that person. I should have encouraged that believer. Should have had a word of prayer with them instead of just passing by. I know they're going through a hard time. You see, sometimes we fail more than we succeed. But we should never forget when we choose simply to walk by and blend in with society instead of positively influencing it, then we've just lost our testimony and we wasted our life. That's what Jesus was saying. In fact, he says that a person that does that is good for nothing. They've wasted the opportunity. They've wasted their life. To be different, like Jesus wants us to be, it requires us doing some things differently. It requires us to live a Holy Spirit-empowered life. Not a life empowered by our own ability. Listen, if you only do what you are capable of and you alone are capable of, you're going to miss out on everything that God has for you. But if you give your life to Christ and give what you have to Christ and see him use that and see him multiply that and see him polish that and see the Holy Spirit work through all of that to accomplish his will and his glory, you're going to live a fulfilled life, not a life that lacks. You see, we're also to be intentional about the way we live. Not only should we live a Holy Spirit-empowered life, we need to be intentional about the way we live. Be intentional about the people we hang with, the places we go, the things we're involved with. You see, we should be intentionally looking for opportunities as we do that, opportunities that the Lord opens along the way and He provides for us to minister. Why? Because we're a part of his family now and we're to leave our mark 
on this world for him. He wants us to leave our mark in the world, and we will leave our mark in the world. He wants us to leave a God-pleasing mark for him. How many of you are Detroit Tiger fans here? Anybody? There's a few. There's a few. I'm usually a Detroit Piston fan. You know, they're, they're the best ball players. I, thought, I didn't know that there was anything besides a basketball, but I guess there is a baseball and there is a football. No, I, we know all about that. By the way, my favorite team, Ohio State, is playing Michigan the end of this month. I saw it on TV. I thought you liked me. No doubt you baseball fans and baseball fans the world over have heard about the near-perfect game or what some have described as the call heard round the world. It involved Armando Galarraga. Did I get it right? Almost right. He was a Detroit pitcher. And he was almost unheard of, hardly known, hardly known beyond Detroit when that big day arrived. Because after pitching 26 straight outs with no walks, Armando was only one batter away from pitching the 21st perfect game in Major League Baseball history. You say, what's a perfect game? Well, a perfect game is, what is it, Ty? Did everybody hear that? No walks, no hits, nobody walks on base the whole game, and that pitcher pitches a game like that. But guess what? The day didn't come because the day the big game of the big game, the unthinkable happened. Because the final batter of the opposing team hit a base hit. Guess who intercepted it? Miguel. Cabrera. He threw it to first base and obviously it was an out in everybody's mind except one, the umpire. He called the batter safe. Man, you could hear the moan and the groans and the disappointment and the anger all simultaneously happening as that play unfolded. And Armando's dream of pitching the 21st perfect game came to an abrupt abrupt halt and never happened. But an even greater shock was yet to come. Because guess what? Umpire Jim Joyce looked back at the recorded tapes of the play. He dropped his head and shook his head. He felt so bad because he had made the wrong call. But it was too late. The call was made. Knowing he had cost Armando the perfect game, probably the only one that would ever happen in his lifetime. He asked for an opportunity to personally apologize to Armando. So with the fans still verbally lashing out and demanding Joyce's firing from Major League Baseball, the next game that was publicly televised and broadcast, there was Jim Joyce and Armando on the pitcher's mound, stood shoulder to shoulder, 
And while standing next to, on the mound, next to defeated and humiliated, Jim Joyce, Armando did an amazing thing. He unconditionally and, and affectionately forgave Jim for a wrong that could never be corrected and slapped him on the shoulder. Joyce was later quoted in saying, in all my, le- in all my days as a major league umpire, I've never had a moment like this. For 21 years, that umpire, Jim Joyce, had a career that flourished, mostly behind the scenes. But in just a moment, one mistake that he made cost him his reputation and he became the most, one of the most hated umps in baseball. But now, because two men had decided to do the right thing, the right thing, to reestablish their bond of friendship and to mend their relational fences, they were able to leave their mark in baseball history and in the history books for years to come for future generations. Because Armando extended his unconditional forgiveness to Jim, he restored not only with relations with Jim, but with baseball fans all over the world. And he restored Jim's reputation and integrity as a major league baseball umpire. That's quite a story, isn't it? But yet, the truth is, like Jim Joyce, we've all blown it and we've all made bad calls in life. Every single one of you. And me. We've all made bad calls in life. We're all sinners, that's why. None of us have been everything that God wants us to be 100% of the time. But the great thing about God is this. He's willing to accept, forgive, and restore every single lost sinner that there is on the planet. Those that put their faith and trust in Christ as their Savior, he's able to save. But even more than that, he's able... to spiritually restore and strengthen and empower every believer who has ever strayed from him, because we all stray from God from time to time. And because he leaves his mark in our lives, we're to leave our mark for him in the lives of others. What kind of mark are you going to leave in the lives of others? What kind of mark have you left in the lives of others? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being here this morning, for hearing your word, for you sharing your thoughts and your word and your wisdom with us, Lord, this morning, for challenging each and every one of us. Lord, We're all called to salvation and there may be someone here that the light came on when I shared that this morning and shared your word about how you're not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance. How you want all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth of who you are and all you are. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Brother Jeff, yeah, that's me. Why don't you bow your head right now?
with your head bowed, your eyes closed. No one else is looking around. This is between you and God. If you're that person here today, whether you're a young person, older person, and you don't know for sure that you're part of God's eternal family, you aren't sure that Jesus is your Savior. You know about him, but you never have come to the place in your life to where you've been willing to turn from your sin Trust in what he did for you on the cross when he shed his blood to fully pay for your sin. You've never trusted in that only as a payment for your sin. Maybe you've been trying to please God in other ways. Listen, the only way you're going to please God is by trusting in Christ's payment that was made for your sin. Otherwise, you're going to be guilty and stand before God guilty for your sin. Christ paid it all when he shed his blood on the cross for you. You need to believe that. You need to embrace that. His blood was what God required. And the only thing that God requires that can fully pay the price for your sin. So that your sin will never be brought up and thrown in your face ever again. By God. He paid the price for you. Believe that. And then be willing to just follow him wherever he leads you. Whatever he asks you to do. Because that is what lordship means. That's what being, having him be your master means. You're going to obey him. You're going to follow him. Might that be your prayer if you've never prayed a prayer like that? And the quietness of this moment, why don't you pray that prayer? Maybe you're here this morning with your heads bowed and eyes closed, and God spoke to your heart somehow, some way. Maybe you haven't been the influence you need to be, or maybe you need to step up your influence in the lives of others. Maybe you need to leave live a little more intentionally than what you've lived in the past. I don't know how God spoke to your heart. I know how he spoke to mine. But why don't you just give what the Lord put his finger on in your life and say, Lord, help me to get back on track in, that, in this area that you put your finger on in my life. Help me to be all that you want me to be, to do everything you want me to do, not hold back. Because this world needs a positive influence, and I realize that. Help me to be that positive influence I need to be for you in the lives of others. Lord, thank you for how you spoke to our hearts this morning, all you've done. Lord, dismiss us with your blessing and just thank you for the privilege of being here this morning, hearing from your word once again. Bless Pastor as he's gone, give him traveling safety. Lord, encourage his heart, help him to be an encouragement to our missionaries. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.